0: Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, where we are done with man. I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And this week we are covering the 1994 film adaptation of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Yeah! (laughs) Guys, Kenneth Branagh's back. Oh guys, guess what? It's not a romance! (laughs) It's not. I know. I know you think that. I know you think that. I will make my case throughout, all right? I believe that love is a central tenet here. Yeah. But like, uh, once again, just like last week, at the beginning and at the end. (laughs) It is a gothic romance. I just don't... Get out of my face. I just don't think anything you'll read about this book or this movie will characterize it that way. But... (laughs) Before we get started, don't forget, go follow us on Twitter at kickandstream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at kickingandstreamingpodcast at gmail.com. That's with an and not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, please be practicing the three R's, rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet. Folks, we want everyone to come and join this year's lovely watch party. You know, we're on, like, season four of Kicking and Streaming. Or something so, like that. Yeah. yeah. And guys, if you want to get us a gift in these valentines, if you will. I hate you! <laughs> (laughs) Oh! oh. If you want to show some love. You're fired. (laughs) If you want to show us some love in these Valentine's, please go check out the Patreon. Guys, there has never been a better time to give us your money. Guys, for just $5 a month, you too can become a little onion contributor at the $5 level. Guys, you're getting access to all of our television coverage, all of our long-form coverage. There's 60 bajillion episodes of Jadams and The Haunting of Hill House over there waiting for you right now. Now you just gotta sign up. We're doing criticisms. We're doing reviews. We're doing a little shooting the shit with Carrie and Ross. It's so much extra bonus content guaranteed. Two posts a month for just five dollars. Remember last month when we did like new Muppet adaptations with like just one human in there? Back in December. Back in December. Yeah, it was so great. It was really good. It was good. What was yours, Charlie and Chocolate Factory? Yeah. And mine was the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, starring Animal (laughs) and Zendaya. Oh boy. And guys, if you want access to our full catalog of main feed goodness, that's every main feed episode we've ever released, you go on over to our Podbean page. Because there you can get a custom RSS link and listen in any player of your choosing. No one need ever die.
1: I will stop this. No, you can't achieve death. We won't know unless we try. I warn you, what you are suggesting is not only illegal, it is immoral. What's happened to you?
0: Talk a little bit about source material. Oh boy. So, guys, if you're a person who's alive today and consuming media, you probably know of Frankenstein. No? Not the monster, <laughs> the man. Yeah, yeah, no, the common misconception, right? Yeah. Everyone thinks that it's Frankenstein monster. Frankenstein come back! <laughs> Remember we did that on the Patreon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, everybody thinks that Frankenstein's the monster. He's not. He's the mad scientist. I feel like I shouldn't have to say this, but just for clarity. And as a matter of fact, guys, a lot of incarnations uh, and adaptations of the Frankenstein story do not at all really reflect the Frankenstein novel. Obviously, the black and white 1931 movie comes to mind. Boris. Yeah, Boris Karloff. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, my God. That one was tough. But this 1994 adaptation is not your average Frankenstein. By the way, Young Frankenstein is the best adaptation of Frankenstein (laughs) that has ever existed. Thank you, Mel Brooks. We will be going outside the timeline to cover that at some point. Oh, yeah, baby. (laughs) Disgust because it doesn't affect millennials per se. Are you kidding me? We have a whole musical about that. You're not wrong you're absolutely not wrong which just goes to show you how far this original source material has stretched across the years guys this source material is 205 years old yeah wow first release january 1st 1818 oh happy birthday yeah frankenstein or the modern prometheus by mary shelley oh yeah was i think prometheus was the greek guy that stole fire for man right i you know i don't know okay fine do you want me to look it up real quick The Titan God of Fire. Yeah. Prometheus is best known for defying the gods and stealing fire from them. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So you were right. (laughs) I need not look it up. Anyway. Mary Shelley was a 21-year-old unwed mother at the time this was published. Yeah, wow. She first conceived of this story while traveling throughout Central Europe. There is this place in Germany called Frankenstein Castle. No. In the <laughs> Rhineland. There is. Wait, no, that's I'm not- being, I'm being 100% serious. That's not the actual place this was written. Are you kidding it me? It wasn't the place it was written, but it gave her the inspiration oh, for the name Frankenstein. I thought you were about to tell me she wrote this story in a place called Frankenstein's Castle. No. Oh, no, 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 not at all. Okay, sorry. Continue. The novel tells the story of Victor Frankenstein, a mm. young scientist who creates a sapient creature in an unorthodox scientific experiment. She started writing the story when she was 18, and it was published for the first time in London when she was just only 20 years old in January. Tw- I almost said 2018 in January 1818. All right, we got two words for you, Kenneth. Branna. Oh boy, here we go. Normally I would get to him when we'd talk about We've Got Names, but he is the name. Yeah, he is the he, name. He is the name, guys. Um, Kenneth Branna, in addition to being a wonderful actor and a philanderer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll get to it. <laughs> he's, he's on my shit list right now. He is also a brilliant filmmaker. I'll never forget that time that I, I think, I don't know if I was with you when we went to see Thor. Right. But I think I might have been. And we were like, Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> yeah, like, Ken! Directed by Kenneth Branagh. Ken, where'd you come from? Gilderoy Lockhart from <laughs> Harry Potter? <laughs> what are we talking about here? And like, yeah, he directed Thor. He directed this, which, I mean, as much of a mess as this movie is. <laughs> Stop it! It's still very, very good. I like the first part of this movie. Much Ado About Nothing? Yeah, he did Much Ado About Nothing. And guys, in 1996, the year I was born... He directed the most successful filmed adaptation of a Shakespeare product there ever has been—the <gasps> three-hour version or four-hour version of Hamlet, With right? Robin Williams at the end. <laughs> Robin Williams is in the middle. For some <laughs> and Kate Winslet and all of the famous Royal Shakespeare Company actors. Oh, Derek Jacobi. This is a mere two. This is two years before that. I know. Yeah, yeah. Oh boy. I know. He's the Olivier of our time. Oh, I know. I hate it. I do hate it, too. He even played Olivier in My Week with Marilyn, which you'll see why I'm happy about that later. <gasps> Wow, we did do that, didn't we? We did do that. And when I say, you know what, we did. Because this is your pick and next week is my pick. It's my week with Marilyn. Spoilers. Yeah, Uh, but. You know what I think? I think we're just both enamored with Kenneth Branagh. And I'm not going to entertain your thirst. (laughs) I mean, I will, but like. He would like me to entertain my thirst. Apparently. That reanimation scene. That scene is unspeakable. (laughs) And we'll get to why. And folks, you might have guessed it, but we've got names. Oh my god I'm <laughs> Obviously Kenneth Branagh is playing Victor Frankenstein today. Yep. How very Olivier of yeah, him. How very Olivier of him. And that's just the thing, guys. He just he makes Victor Shakespearean, you yeah. know? Like there's just no way he's not gonna playing the creation. Ooh. Not just the monster, but the creation. Mm-hmm. Frankenstein's monster. We have <laughs> Robert De Niro. Which, that is out of left field. Am I wrong? I mean, I can remember the first time I was introduced to this film was when Dad was watching it. Mm-hmm. Dad loves this movie. And how many times does that fucking happen to both of us? Exactly. And he was like, you're never going to guess who the monster is. Because <laughs> the movie was already playing by that point, but we hadn't gotten to the monster. Yeah. And then when the monster finally appears, he's like, that's Robert De Niro. <laughs> And I was like, "Ah, what? (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. And he was like, yeah, it's Robert De Niro. And I was like, are you talking to me, Robert De Niro? And he was like, yeah, no. Oh, you know who they wanted to play him originally? Hmm. Schwarzenegger. Uh Uh-uh. Yeah, I know. That would have been ridiculous. Laughable. Yeah. Not that it already isn't. But, like, that is so laughable anyway. You know Robert De Niro from The Godfather. And Taxi Driver. And Taxi Driver. And, uh... He, he's known for his collabs with uh, Martin Scorsese. Sazy? Sasey? Whatever. Are you kidding me? I don't know. He's also associated uh, with the actor studio, you know, Lee Strasberg, Silver Linings Playbook, Kate Fear. And again, I mention... Hide and Seek. Oh, Hide and seek. so wild. The last time we mentioned that was when we covered War of the Worlds because of Dakota Fanning. Yeah. And I I was just listening to it the other day, and I was like, we have to cover that film soon. Yes. I don't know. Maybe in October? uh, Maybe. Maybe. uh, Maybe. 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 maybe A little Hide and Seek. Um, Guys, playing uh, Victor Frankenstein's bestie, Henry Clerval... (laughs) We've got Tom Hulse. Oh my god. Also, have we had Kenneth Branagh or Robert De Niro with us on the show before? Oh, Kenneth Branagh was here for El Dorado. That's right. You're and so right. As far as Robert De Niro goes, I don't think we've talked about him yet. This is probably his first time. Yeah. Anyway. I, yeah, I really don't know. It's also Tom Holtz's first time, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. Because we have not done uh Hunchback or Amadeus. Which yet. are the two things he is <laughs> best known for. <laughs> he is, of course, the voice of Quasimodo in the Hunchback of Notre Dame, the oh, Disney version. I love him. reason. Elizabeth Lavenza Frankenstein. <gasps> oh, my God. Sorry, Frankenstein. We have, oh, she's here. Yeah. We love her. Uh-huh. HB Supremacy on this podcast. <laughs> I don't know, man. She did not behave herself on this set. I get it. I get it. Let's do it like we did it last time together. Okay. Okay.
1: Helena Helena Bottom Bottom
0: Carter! God. (laughs) Guys, HBC, you know her, you love her. Uh, She's recently come to fame playing Princess Margaret on Netflix's The Crown. She's in all the Tim Burtons, mm-hmm. all of them. All the Tim Burtons. They were married, I think, for a time. Yeah, she was with us when we covered uh, Big Fish, mm-hmm. and she was with us when we covered Corpse Bride. She was in Lady Jane. Oh, she was also with us as Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother, mm-hmm. in uh, The King's Speech, Yes, which I also just listened to again. <laughs> Who can forget her quintessential performance in Wallace and Gromit, The Curse <laughs> of the Were-Rabbit, which I must bring up anytime we have a HBC here with us. Oh man, we're just gonna have to do it and get it over with, so I never have to hear that joke again. You do realize that anytime we have her beyond that, I will still <laughs> be mentioning Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit, Fine. which is a movie that freaks me the fuck out personally. Playing Victor's father, the Baron Alphonse Frankenstein. Oh, I'll stop saying Frankenstein. <laughs> we have Ian Holm, and guys, you uh, guess what? Royal Shakespeare Company, <laughs> Ian Holm. You will know him, of course, as Bilbo Baggins from the Lord of the Rings saga and the Hobbit saga. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Portraying Professor Waldman. Oh, boy. We have John Cleese. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly headless Nick himself. Nearly headless Nick from the Harry Potter saga. You know he's part of Monty Python and mm-hmm. all that good stuff. A fish called Wanda. I love a fish called Wanda. Faulty Towers, Ross. You would love Faulty Towers. I've seen Faulty Towers. I remember <laughs> you showing it to me when you lived in Muncie. That's right. It's because Michael liked it too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the guy I was dating at the time. Life of Brian, meaning a life. Oh, yep. There's Faulty Towers. <laughs> so what have we got? We've got. Gilderoy Lockhart, Bellatrix Estranged. And Nearly Headless (laughs) Nick. And Nearly Headless Nick and Bilbo Baggins. So uh, portraying Captain Robert Walton, a mad explorer obsessed with reaching the North Pole, we have Aidan Quinn... Yup. He's very yummy. Yes, he is. Oh, and he's super daddy now. Wow. Uh, Yeah. Cut that out. (laughs) No, I'm not. Cut out that I said that. I refuse. Desperately seeking Susan, Avalon, Benny, and June. You're never going to guess where I know him from. Where do you know him from? A single episode of SVU. Imagine fucking that. (laughs) Okay, portraying um, the elderly blind man, he's just called Grandfather. We have Richard Briers. Guess what? Royal Shakespeare Company's Richard Briers. <laughs> Richard Briers is in a lot of Kenneth Branagh's movies. He's also in Much Ado About Nothing and Hamlet. Who'd have <laughs> fucking thought? We've got Robert Hardy, Minister Cornelius Fudge. <laughs> As Professor Kemp, the head of the University of Ingolstadt. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Ingolstadt. Uh, Robert Hardy has been, and he's, of course, Cornelius Fudge from the Harry Potter saga. Um, He's Winston Churchill in several different things. We absolutely must get to the content because I've talked for too long. Yes, you have. I've also been talking like Coach Steve all day. Yeah, and you're hurting your instrument. I'm sorry. Can we talk about this opening narration that is supposed to be the voice of Mary Shelley herself? That's another thing, guys. The the sound mixing in this film is appalling. (laughs) Oh, no. Like the music will come in full blast. Yeah. And then I have to turn my TV all the way up to hear the scenes of dialogue. Yeah, I know, I know. And and you're right, that great theme comes in, and then we hear what is supposedly Mary Shelley in voiceover.
1: I busied myself to think of a story which would speak to the mysterious fears of our nature and awaken thrilling horror. One to make
0: the reader dread to look around
1: to curdle the blood
0: and quicken the beatings of the heart. When it goes down! (laughs) <laughs> and zooms out ass. I'm like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> it's coming to get you. Uh, yeah. And then we get some on-screen text, right? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Time to read. Allow me to give a dramatic reading here. Please, please. The dawn of the 19th century. A little dramatic. I know. <laughs> what did I just say? Sorry, you can go on. A world on the brink of revolutionary change, alongside political and social upheaval, scientific advances that would profoundly change the lives of all, the Lust for knowledge had never been greater. Among the pioneers, Captain Robert Walton, an explorer obsessed with reaching the North Pole. As the prize drew closer, his voyage would uncover a story to strike terror in the hearts of all who would venture into the unknown. I can remember the first time cracking open this book and being like, this is not fucking Frankenstein. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Who the fuck is this Walton guy, and why are we at the goddamn North Pole? Yeah, this is like the framing device for the whole story, mm-hmm. right? Because Walton is going to learn, that by the end of this movie, that he and Frankenstein share some uh, proclivities. He's the one that actually learns the lesson from the whole thing, Yeah, right? can you believe it? Yeah. So we're in the Arctic Sea in 1794. Shit is going so well for the Walton expedition. Oh no, that's my first note! <laughs> Things are not going well! This ship is barely together out of so many weeks due north. Who knows how long they've been at this? And they're like, the whole ship is in the middle of a freezing torrential storm. And you know, in the late 1700s, this is uncharted territory. Quite literally uncharted territory. Exactly. Mm -hmm. He's trying to get to the North Pole.
1: Please, Captain!
0: I have, oh, iceberg right ahead. Yeah. They crash into this iceberg and like the ship is kind of, Ooh, I hate that shot when the guy goes over the edge Mm -hmm. and like they're trying to help him up, but they can't help him up before the ship crashes into the ice and he gets trapped down there. Yeah, no. uh What a horrible way to die. And you know what? They also have to chop up the ship just to keep warm. Yeah, that's the thing because the sea freezes and now the ship can't go anywhere. Walton's lieutenant tells him that he's gonna risk mutiny if he wants to continue on with this shit. Oh yeah, I was like because Walton wants to keep going after they get the ship free and I was like, uh oh, I hear the M word.
1: They knew the risk when they signed on and we are gonna chop our way to the North Pole if we have to.
0: Then you run the risk of mutiny Captain.
1: Did you say mutiny? Yes, I did, sir. We proceed north. As planned. At the cost of how many more lives? As many as it takes!
0: They hear this ghostly noise. Not the distant moaning! Yeah, coming out of the fog. And they're like, what? Life this far north? And it's not just life. It's Kenneth Branagh. Oh, boy. Yeah, this person in a sled is coming up to them, and it's Kenneth Branagh. Do you love the wig or do you love the wig? I do love the wig. (laughs) It's ridiculous, this long mane of red hair because he's been traveling for weeks. (laughs) Frankenstein's like, listen, just get inside, yeah, and I will deliver the whole narrative next to a warm fire, okay? The shot of the moaner getting closer and closer to the ship. I'm like, ah! and Frankenstein is trying to explain what's coming after them, right? Yeah. And Walton is getting short with him because the thing that's coming after them could kill them all and he's not going to risk tanking an exploration mission he planned for six years just because of Frank. Frankenstein sees that look in Walton's eyes and he knows exactly what kind of man he is. We love the line. Do you share my madness?
1: No, not madness. What then? There is a passage to the North Pole and I will find it. The cost of your own life, the lives
0: of your crew. Lives come and go. Do you share my madness? No, not madness. What then? (laughs) No, exactly. What is this but sheer madness? It is 1794 and you think you're getting to the North Pole? (laughs) I know. With the ships you got? I don't think so. Walton's like, listen, lives come and go but I will find a passage, and we will be hailed. And Victor's just like, oh, you're wrong. I know that better than anyone. You're so (laughs) wrong. Uh, You want to talk about lives coming and going? Let's talk about lives coming and going.
1: You're wrong. I, of all men, know that. Who are you? My name is Victor. Victor.
0: Frankenstein. All right, we've landed in Geneva. 1773 so like 21 years ago roughly it's the year of the Boston Tea Party yeah it sure is <laughs> and Victor's a small bean he's probably like 6 years old and he lives in this grand manor with his father Alphonse his he's also a doctor and his mother Caroline they are spoiling him oh I know they also have a staff including head housekeeper Mrs. Moritz and her daughter Justine mm-hmm. yeah I don't mm-hmm. like how Mm. Mrs. Moritz treats her daughter. No. On this day, it might as well be his birthday. He's getting a really great present, isn't he, Carrie? Oh, Ross, you don't know how right you are. Yeah, he's getting a wife. No, stop! Okay, we'll get there. Don't give away the end. (laughs) On this day, his father is bringing home a child, an orphaned ward. He almost said child (laughs) pride! I know you did! Uh, (laughs) Okay. Oh my god. I'm sorry, keep going. Victor is also a child, sorry. Yeah, no, don't be weird. (laughs) Alphonse is bringing Elizabeth home for them to raise, just because. And I feel like the movie really skirts over this too fast. It should because in the book they actually find her while they're in Italy and his they go to visit like the houses of the poor because there's nothing rich folks love more than going downtown and, and slumming it, it with the, the poor. poor. And they literally come upon this gaggle of children in this house and Victor's mother picks Elizabeth out of the brood because she is the prettiest and quote Fairest, Whitest. Yes! The whitest child. Yes! Okay. They bring her home, and Caroline literally describes her as a present for Victor. Victor,
1: this is Elizabeth. She's coming to live with us. She's lost both her mother and father to the scarlet fever, Victor. She's an orphan now.
0: You must think of her as your own sister. You must look after her. I'd be kind to her. And you know, they shake their little hands, you know. I know. And we immediately flash forward to I don't know when. It's not until Victor is a young man that his mother finally gets pregnant again. What the fuck? Like, I know. What, why did we need Elizabeth then? Like I, what stop? I'm d- uh, sorry. And and then... We are going to fly through this really quick because it is really terrible. Tragedy strikes when Caroline goes into labor, and of course, this is the 18th century, there's going to be complications. This is when women gave birth sitting in chairs? Like they're on a squatty potty? I, like, is that the way to do it, folks? I, I don't know. I don't know. And I have, why is this scene so bloody? Everyone is covered in her blood. Well, obviously, there's a complication. <laughs> well, yeah, she's probably got an obstruction, right? Mm-hmm. And There's he, a baby in her vagina. <laughs> Stop. Sorry. And, like, Frankenstein Sr. is covered. His chest is covered in her blood. Well, he was probably elbow deep. Stop! Sorry, I'm just being honest. Like, you want to know why they're so bloody? You must make a decision.
1: How can hide the baby's in the wrong position. I can't proceed. I come. not I can't. I Cut me. Save the baby.
0: Ah! You know what immediately traumatizes me? What? The line, cut me, save the baby. Ah, no! You know what that means? Episiotomy. Me. Oh, Christ. Yeah, she's like, slice me from vagina to butthole and get this baby out of me. Who cares if I die? Like, And when Victor comes upstairs and like sees his mother dead in that chair, and he is sobbing, and I'm like, oh, wow. Why, I'm feeling things this early? The wails of the Baron on the staircase. Oh, no. Also, those stairs have no railing. I know. And they go up so high. I know, I know.
1: Uh- bring up back. I- <laughs> Please bring up back. <laughs> Bring her back.
0: Bring her back. I hate that so much. And now we have little William. Yeah, the baby's alive, I guess. At least there's that. Little Willie. We cut to three years later. Yeah. And wow, we see the best grave that has ever existed for he- Caroline Beaufort Frankenstein. Yeah, that headstone's out of control. Victor is about to enter university for medicine. He is full of new resolve for conquering death, baby. He's experimenting with energy conversion, electricity. There's this scene where he hijacks an entire afternoon holiday with Elizabeth, Justine, and Willie just to show them how it's possible to trap lightning within the human body. It's a- energy. It never disappears, just changes form. Exactly. Which was relatively a new concept, I can't even believe. Like. Oh my god. And then, we go to a send-off party for Victor, right? He's leaving for medical school the next day, and the late 18th century fashion, you know what I'm gonna say, I'd look fabulous. You always would. I, yeah, baby. Yeah, you wanna be eat the rich, you go ahead. <laughs> you wanna look that way? Fine. I We're just ca- wanna eat want to wear their clothes all right if you want to wear their clothes we're guillotining you <laughs> like if you're prepared to get your head cut off fine just to look good i'm gonna look sick while i'm being executed carry in to me who told you i was vain <laughs> please it's obvious um listen alphonse giving the journal is a lot Yeah, his father makes a gift of a journal to him from his mother that he was supposed to get when he went off to university, right? She's just not here to give it to him. And she wrote this very aggrandizing note in the front.
1: And in it, she has written, this is the journal of Victor Frankenstein. The rest of the leaves are blank. Be filled with the deeds
0: of a noble life. I'm like, oh boy, we're already giving ourselves some pretty lofty expectations. Yeah, Victor's gonna cry, but he takes to kissing his sister instead. Okay, nope, yep, we have got to talk about being in love with our adoptive sister. Helena Bottom Carter. I understand why this is considered weird because they are effectively siblings but at least they're not actual siblings yeah they're not they don't share blood but like it's still fucking weird it is it is kind of weird like they did grow up together they like they got to have all of those sibling experiences and now they're just in love with each other i wrote victor is like listen i know you're my sister but i like really want you
1: how do brothers and sisters say goodbye
0: Perhaps
1: they never have to. I went if you want.
0: And then they kiss and I hate it. I know. I know. I start heaving because this is where I remembered that in this moment, the entire reason that he and Emma Thompson who he was married to when this was being filmed, they separated because he was having an affair with HBC. Yeah, no, they had just done Much Ado About Nothing together the year before that, gotten married, and then they did Frankenstein and their marriage was immediately over. Yeah, so, like, the passion you're seeing is very real and it kind of does make me feel gross. Like, naughty naughty, both of you. Like, he proposes marriage to her and begs for her to come with him to Ingolstadt I love that word, Ingolstadt. Well, it is a Bavarian city. Yeah, Ingolstadt. Oh, and it's Bavarian. Yes, it is. (laughs) We'll get there. Then come with me to Ingolstadt. Marry me now. No. Well, then I'll stay.
1: I I want more than anything else in the world to be your wife. But as long as you're away, I belong here.
0: I want to make this house live again. I want to make this a great home for our children. And she's like, no, no, I want to stay here. I want to make this like a good home for our kids, (laughs) which I'm like, Elizabeth, it's already a mansion. Like, come on, babe. (laughs) I'll be be here when you're done getting the goods to be great, you know, like. (laughs) Oh, I like that. Oh, so we are transported to Ingolstadt, 1793. Now we're up to where we were in the beginning. Like, this is the same year, okay? Well, just about. Just about. Victor has rented attic space from an old woman as living quarters Mm -hmm. and for his laboratory. I love... I just said laboratory. 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 (laughs) Get out of my laboratory. (laughs) I love that shot when he walks into the biggest section of the attic space, Mm -hmm. and you can tell this is where all the horrors of nature are going to take place. You will also be able to tell that it is simultaneously the attic of the Frankenstein home. You know what? I'm sorry. You just got to save money where you can, okay? (laughs) Okay.
1: It's exactly what I'm looking for. Uh, but, Frau Breck, there will be a great deal of scientific equipment and rigging to be delivered. Every day, I'm afraid, for the next week. I trust you have no objections. I'm sure you appreciate the need for a proper laboratory. Oh, oh but
0: she likes you. And, like, we go to the school, we go to the medical school in Ingolstadt, and I hate that on the front of the school it says... Knowledge is power only through God. Yeah. It's emblazoned on the front of the medical school. It was the Holy Roman Empire, you know, like... (laughs) I mean, kind of, yeah. (laughs) Germany was the Holy Roman Empire back then, so... Oh, boy. The only person that was equated of the power of the Holy Roman Emperor was the Pope, so... Dr. Cornelius Fudge, I mean, <laughs> Professor Krempe. I wrote Professor Cornelius Fudge too. Yeah, no. He's giving a lecture on how these future doctors should not expect to come in here and turn the medical world on its ear with their flights of fancy regarding the laws of nature. And Victor's like, what? Well, come on, man. Don't be a square. He is here to tell them all you ain't shit and we must not be pseudoscientists. <laughs> Yeah, because he's, like, really into Paracelsus and Cornelius Agrippa, who are both sorcerers in the Harry Potter universe, just saying. Yeah, the alchemists, right? Yeah, the alchemists. Because that's literally what what Dr. Fudge says. We study hard science. But surely, Professor, the greatest
1: possible advances lie in combining these things. We do not study the ravings of lunatics and alchemists hundreds of years in their graves because their kind of amateur, fanatical, fantastical speculation does not heal bodies or save lives. Only science can do that.
0: I mean, Victor also makes himself a couple of friends. Well, really one important friend during this time, doesn't he? Uh-huh. Henry Clerval. I love Henry. He's very faint of constitution. Oh, um, this is so funny to me because I think Henry is one of the only people here who really gets what Victor's about because mm-hmm. he's also kind of a little loony.
1: Don't take it too hard. It's just that Kremp doesn't approve of public humiliation. I am not mad. My dear fellow, of course you're not. In fact, that's just the sort of thing I'd expect a perfectly rational person to say to a complete stranger. Henry Clerval, by the way, and I'm
0: completely crazy. Yeah, I I love that. He's so cute. Clerval is, of course, here to be a doctor, but he can't stop failing anatomy. Yeah, I know. Or becoming woozy at the sight of blood. When they're doing, like, a exam or, like, a procedure on this cadaver and, like, Victor peels back the skull cavity yeah. and Clairval just faints. Yeah. It's so funny, I love it. Victor might not like Professor Kremp so much, but he does like the instruction of one Professor Waldman. Yeah, Waldman. Clairval's the one who tells him about Waldman because Waldman got in trouble years ago for a quote illegal experiment. Yeah, yeah. They didn't like you going too far in science. And Victor starts cozying up to Waldman in class because he thinks that might be he thinks that Waldman might be sympathetic to his own views on applying science and philosophy to medicine. Waldman's says, chill. Yeah. yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. Mm-hmm. Waldman is a tall, elusive drink of water. When when Victor is in class with uh Dr. Crumpy with Professor Crumpy and they're screaming back and forth at each other. Yeah. No. When when, when Cornelius Fudge takes off his wig <laughs> and throws it on the ground and goes. They are absurd. That is rubbish. And you know that premise has been repeatedly challenged
1: by members of your own staff. Yes, you, sir. But we you. don't know where life ends or death begins. Here continues to grow after what we choose to call death. So the fingernails. We know that a man's brain may die but that his heart and and lungs may continue to pump and breathe. Now you know that.
0: I am against what Victor wants. <laughs> I know. I'm with Crampy. I'm with Fudge. I know. And he, the way Victor calls Waldman out in the middle of the lecture. <laughs> yeah, he's like, listen, there are members of your own staff. And yes, I mean you, sir. <laughs> you, the one making the quick exit in the back. Pointing to John Cleese. He's like, that, are, that wants to do the exact same things that I want to do, you know? And like... Waldman accosts him after class. Literally slams him up against the wall. Like, what is your problem? listen, you called me out in front of everyone and fuck you for that, but I've actually done the very thing you want to do before, so I'll let you look at my shit. So, Victor and Henry go to Waldman's office with him so they can look at his experiments. You know, those illegal type of experiments that he got in trouble for. Fuck this experiment. Oh, no. That's all I know. Because what he does, he starts explaining to them, he starts citing Chinese acupuncture Mm -hmm. as a way to manipulate energy streams in the body and for the purposes of reanimating it, you stick the pins in in the appropriate places and run electricity through the dead meat and you could in theory reanimate it is anyone feeling romantic yet no shut up i'm just saying it's not a romance i don't know why you don't know why you picked it to do as a romance anyway anyway we see him actually do this experiment on a monkey's paw which is just a great reference to another story about being careful what you wish for it's like a ape arm or so it's like it looks like the arm of like an orangutan or yeah. something yeah but the thing is the problem is that once you reanimate the dead meat you no longer have control over it it's all it's like super strong for some reason yeah. i don't know if it's the electricity or what we but... see that when the monkey's paw grabs a hold of henry's wrist and they can't make it let go yeah <laughs> hello henry
1: yes how do you do ah! <laughs> it's not working but they can't Henry it's simply a matter of reducing the polarity between your body in the arm. and basically the same as human being no oh, mom is this
0: strong no this must work and like Victor's the way Victor is looking with the with the downward stare at Waldman and is like let me look at your notes dude oh no yeah and, and John Cleese is just like Waldman's like you must tell no one and Henry's like yeah no one would fucking believe you anyway <laughs> Victor thinks that if he can help Waldman with his experiments, then they can actually cheat death by creating life. And this is where it gets really tricky, right? Yeah. Because again, it's not just about preser- preserving life; it's about creating it. He just wants his mommy back so bad. Yeah, he does. And like, I feel like that's the motivating factor here, especially at the beginning. And it does evolve as we go along. And listen, he, you know, Victor's like, guys, we can design a life yeah isn't that fucking cool
1: no leave god out of this listen if you love someone they have a sick heart wouldn't you give them a healthy one impossible no it's not impossible we can do it we're steps away and if we can do that if we can replace one part of a human being we can replace every part and if we can do that we can design a life we can create a being that will not grow old or sicken. one that will be stronger than us better than us
0: and what's crazy- what he's saying is that we are officially in that point in medical science today we can grow human tissue outside the body which is just what? I know and like he wants Waldman to let him see these notes because he thinks he can use them to create life and Waldman emphatically says no. Yeah it was an abomination. Yeah like I only use my powers to preserve life now. Everything I ever did went really really south. Yeah this is like you know what? We'll talk about it in a Senate. Yeah, Sorry. I know. Sorry, go on. Oh, we've come to the vaccination scene. There's cholera in Ingolstadt. Yeah, all the staff and young doctors in Ingolstadt are helping to administer vaccines. And guys, get this. It's the law. Uh, you <laughs> yeah. have to get vaccinated. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of whack for the Holy Roman Empire, don't you think? It is. And this part is awful because... This man comes in, he's ranting and raving, he's got one leg. It's and Robert De Niro. It's Robert De Niro <laughs> in a really bad wig. And he's an anti-vaxxer. <laughs> yes, he is! He is very weary of this vaccine. Raise your hand if that sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Waldman's trying to plead with him. Dude, you've got to do this. It's the only way to protect this city. And this guy takes a shiv out of his crutch and stabs Waldman in the gut. Yeah. Come on. You're not sticking. You're
1: not that meat! You're not sticking that meat! Sir?
0: Professor? Sir? Oh, no. Yeah, guys, Waldman dies. Yeah, oh, that scene where Victor is thumping on his chest, the, trying to revive him. The, come on! Come on! Come on! And I'm like, oh, and then he flings the bloody instruments everywhere. <laughs> oh, no. And I'm like, it's so, it's so unsanitary. <laughs> <laughs> it's 1793. <laughs> uh, my, do you see my hands? Yeah, no. Come <laughs> on! Come on!
1: Come on! Come on! Come on! It's no use, Victor, he's gone! No! No, Henry! Let him go! No! No, they shouldn't have let him go! I'm so
0: The man who killed Waldman, who, like you said, is definitely Robert De Niro, Niro. is hanged for his crime, and we have to watch it happen. Yeah, he's calling all the scientists and medical people uh, wizards and, you know, that they hurt people and all this stuff. And I hate that this is not the last time we're going to have to watch something like this happen. I know. that This movie does it to me twice. Yeah. So, Yeah. After Waldman dies, Victor takes that as an immediate license to go looking through his shit. He breaks into Waldman's office and starts going through his research. And the thing that was missing from Waldman's uh, research in the first place was what he refers to as proper raw materials, right? Fresh, dead meat. Victor. I know. Because even Waldman knew that grave robbing was a step too far. But nothing is a step too far for Victor Frankenstein. When Frankenstein is asking Henry to help him, and Henry's like, nah, nah, dude, fuck this shit. (laughs) Like, I can't do that. I cannot contribute to your madness. And even if you had the right, which you don't, to make this decision for us, can you imagine for one second that there wouldn't be a terrible price
1: to pay? I think for the chance to defeat death and disease, to let everyone on this earth have the chance of life, sustained, healthy life, to allow people who love each other to be together forever. For all of that, I think it's a risk worth taking.
0: I think that's a risk worth taking. Yeah, and then we'll all join hands and dance around Touchdown Jesus and sing (laughs) Kumbaya. (laughs) Yeah, but Ross, that's what I'm saying. I feel like this movie takes his motivations a step further it's not just about conquering death it is about preserving love the relationships with your loved ones and then we all do thriller stop it (laughs) literally (laughs) like guys he's going to all the lengths he steals the body of waldman's killer and starts experimenting with his dead flesh. Yeah. He steals more body parts, he steals a leg to replace the one he didn't have in life. Yeah, the Earl of Grantham's leg. Yeah, and an eye! Cause remember that guy only had one eye too, so he's gotta replace the whole eye. That's right. And he digs Waldman up and takes his brain!
1: The very finest brain.
0: That's so creepy. Abby someone. Abby normal. (laughs) Abby normal. (laughs) For electricity, he settles on the use of electric eels, which can provide the skin-to-skin contact with electricity for animating the needles, right? At the acupuncture points. I said, ooh, girl, (laughs) shock me like Like an electric electric eel. eel. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) For driving the electricity in reanimation, he starts paying midwives to hand over the afterbirth for the amniotic fluid. Yeah, he's stealing amniotic fluid. Yeah. Which is just, uh, he's filling a tank with it. <laughs> I- <laughs> because it's like a chief biological agent, right? <laughs> <laughs> or are you about to heave? I'm thinking about the animations, <laughs> dude. Sorry, keep going. He gets all the pieces of this experiment together. You mean the several people he's sewn together? And we know he's getting too obsessed with this because he's completely stopped corresponding with Elizabeth at this point. She hasn't heard from him in months. She's taken to writing letters as him so the family won't get worried. That's unhinged. It is. <laughs> and she's like, I want to go check on him in Ingolstadt, but there's there's rumors of cholera. And Justine's like, girl, go. If he was mine, I would have gone already. So Justine's into Victor. Uh, yeah, that much is uh clear. Yeah. Victor is closer than ever to succeeding. He's getting very ill and very crazy. Yeah, he's not eating, he's not sleeping, he's sweaty. And God help if anyone discovers him up here. Yeah! Because he's doing, um, I don't know, hella illegal things. (laughs) Henry bangs on the door of the attic space telling him, Bitch, there's cholera! The martial law's been declared! We're about to be quarantined, and Victor is telling him to piss off through the door. When he hears Elizabeth's voice from the other side. Victor, it's me! Elizabeth! Can you hear me? Victor, I have to see you. He can't get her to go away, so he throws his hands up and closes off the lab so she won't be able to see inside. And she comes in, and when Elizabeth sets eyes on him, he barely, you know, resembles the man she knew, right? Well, there's a brain in green juice on the table, and I'm telling you, that was not his morning brew. (laughs) Oh, no. You know? And, like, she's trying to get him to leave with her, and he won't explain why he can't. Like, the look on her face, because he promised he'd always be with her, right? Mm-hmm. And now he's actually risking his life for science? Yeah, no, she's like, hey, you should, uh, you should come with me because you're going to die.
1: I cannot abandon this work now. It is too important, not just for me, but believe me, for everyone. And it must come first.
0: before us. So she just leaves sobbing. She can't make him leave with her. And I just feel so bad for her. Well, he chooses, yeah, he chooses the experiment over her. He's like, it's too important. He's like, I will always love you, but this has to come first. And she's like, are you serious? She's like, before us. Oh, yeah. yeah and Uh-oh. she storms away. I love the scene where Tom Hulse is chasing her down the street. Yeah. Elizabeth. And she's just going, No going against the grain of everyone running out of Ingles' style. She's I, the only one wearing any color. Yeah. So she's really easy to pick out. Yeah. he's just He just won't abandon the abomination. I'm sorry, the creation. Speaking of the creation, we have come to the reanimation sequence. This is the scene from all the movies we do know where we get the, it's alive. Uh, I will entertain your thirst for 10 seconds, go. Oh no, cause here's the thing. For reasons that defy explanation. Mm, so hot. Kenneth Brana is shirtless and sweaty. Ken, the six pack, my God. Wearing that positively regal robe. Oh yeah, the music track for this scene is great too. Way he sweeps that robe around the corner behind him and throws it off so he can get to work. He's so hot. <laughs> okay, I'm shutting it down. I'm shutting it down because the rest of this scene is fucking disgusting. Kenya had no GD right to make this scene have sensual overtones. <sighs> So he lowers the body of the creature into the tank, inserts the needles into the body like he's a magician doing the sword trick, right? It's quite an amazing sequence. They did really good job. Yeah, the production value on this. Mm -hmm. And then he fills the tank with both amniotic fluid (laughs) and electric eels. I know, I know. Ross can't handle the idea of the amniotic fluid. (laughs) No, come on. I'm sorry. I'm thinking about it. You got to rally. You have to keep going. It's also worth mentioning, and I know this is gonna tick people off, but the use of electricity is not actually part of the process in the book. That's just something we get from the 1931 movie. Cool. In the book, the process is unspecified and is actually achieved through Frankenstein's discovery of an unknown life-affirming element that doesn't get a name. Huh. Yeah. How lazy. Stop it. Sorry. <laughs> <And> <laughs> guys, the creature's eyes, pop open inside the tank. Live! Live! He's so dramatic! Live! 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 And then, but when he shuts the electricity off... It dies. Yeah, the monster's gone still again. And he's about to ride it off... When he hears it stirring in the tank, it's alive.
1: It's alive.
0: The monster blows the lid off that tank with its superhuman strength and dumps the whole thing over. I'm checking out for a second, Carrie, you go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, because obviously all the amniotic fluid spills out all over the floor and everything is wet and slippery and the monster, the monster doesn't really know how to stand. Like He's like a new baby, right? And, like, <laughs> Frankenstein's trying to help him get up, and, like, we spend two minutes watching Ken and Robert De Niro roll around in the amniotic fluid. It's weirdly hot, but then also what? disgusting! <laughs> Russ. And Victor strings him up on chains so that he can have a look at him and he can support himself. Yeah, and hangs him instead. Yeah, he's like, well, shit! All of it's hitting him like a freight train. What have I Done. So he takes to his journal. Oh boy. What does he write down? Massive birth defects,
1: greatly enhanced physical strength, but resulting reanimate is malfunctional and pitiful. And dead.
0: So he thinks this thing was alive for two minutes and then died again, so now he's planning to destroy everything the next day. The notes, the experiments, everything. <laughs> he's like, I'm done. He's calling it a wash. That was a lot. Um, <laughs> he goes to bed because creating life is exhausting. Just ask women. He gets in that bed covered in amniotic fluid. I know. Go hose down. <laughs> uh, Go hose down. Those sheets. And when he wakes up, that monster is alive and running around the lab. Oh, and he automatically wants nothing to do with it anymore. Oh, it's crazy. The creature takes Victor's coat, and Victor's coat has the journal in the pocket of it, right? And he takes the coat, and he just escapes. Yeah, yeah. Bye, monster. I'm sorry. Creation. I mean, abomination. Whatever. (laughs) Robert De Niro, bye. And I love Robert De Niro's makeup. Oh, I know. It's really good. And terrifying. The way he's got those incision stitches crawling across his face and going around his left eye because Victor had to replace that whole eye. hmm And you guessed it, he's not out in the city for five minutes before people are descending on him because he's big and ugly. They think he's the one spreading the cholera. I mean, look at him. I know, right? I mean, seriously. Yeah, these ignorant peasants aren't going to know the difference. So they grab their torches and pitchforks. Tarches and bitch farks, and start chasing him. When he picks that one guy up and tosses him like a bale of hay back into the crowd. It's very Sauron in the prologue. (laughs) Just the sweeping back and forth of people. And the creature escapes by jumping on the back of a wagon carrying dead bodies out of the city. And like, Victor comes to after a bout of pneumonia in the attic space, having been revived by Henry in his medical knowledge. We are all Tom Hulse in this moment. We want just want to be there, sitting next to shirtless Kenneth Branagh, <laughs> dabbing his brow, like, and telling him that everything's gonna be okay. Shh, 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 quiet, baby. <laughs> <laughs> the epidemic
1: is dreadful. There's nothing we can do for them. The vulnerable anyone who's... Without shelter or food, the newborn especially will die.
0: Are you sure? I'm certain of it. Thank God. Victor does not tell anyone about what he's done. He's convinced he'll never have to deal with the consequences because the likelihood of that creature surviving out there amongst the cholera is very low. Well, not low enough. And the other thing is, Elizabeth is still here. Yeah. She never fled the city. Yeah. She waited by his bedside with Henry, and when they first set eyes on each other, the way they run into each other's arms.
1: Oh, oh please, please look at me. Of I am so sorry. Victor, I do. I don't know what you're working on. And I don't want to know, but he nearly killed you. It's over. It's finished. It should never have started.
0: Those jammy pants are so sheer. I know. You know what? I told you I wasn't going to entertain your thirst, <laughs> and here I am thirsting. Like, I. I know. I, I fully it. expected it. It's the brawny, golden nature of his body. I'm just like. Ah! <laughs> ah! ah! Now we get this series of scenes of the creature wandering through the woods alone, and he comes upon a cottage with a family in it, right? Uh A father, a mother, few children, and a blind grandfather. And he keeps out of sight by sleeping with the piggies. Yeah, he is in their piggy shed because (laughs) he's got nowhere else to go, eating the pig scraps and sleeping and shit. The family's falling on hard times. Yeah, they're, they're farmers and- uh, it It's winter. It's winter. They can't dig up the vegetables or anything. They can't make a living. They can't sell any of their livestock because the nearest marketplace has been quarantined for cholera. Yeah. And through the slats in the wall of the cottage, the creature is able to observe this family just living, right? Yeah. And like, he kind of, he does have an intellectual understanding of, of what they're saying, what what they're experiencing. With... He does have one of the finest medical minds, quite literally. Yeah, he does. He does have <laughs> Waldman's brain. And the monster decides that he's going to help them out anonymously. He's just tearing their, their tubers out of the ground. Yeah, because even the mom and dad together can't get one tuber out of the ground. Yeah, because it's so frozen, but he's got that super strength, right? And you know? he's just pulling up root vegetables one after the other. He harvests their whole crop for them and leaves it on their doorstep (laughs) they must be gifts from
1: the good spirit of the forest father nothing in this life comes free of cost i would like to know who and why was it grandpa
0: was it was it the good spirit
1: i believe it was will you stop filling their head with
0: nonsense I'm like okay okay and when they all come out and they're like it must have been the spirit of the forest you know (laughs) oh my god and they think it's this benevolent spirit that's come to save them and I just love him grinning from the piggy piggy house Yeah. he's like oh I did good you know I did a good thing Uh he's also watching the mother teach her daughter how to read and again it's not like he's learning to read all over again he knows it's just like it's not all there to yeah, begin with. Yeah, it's like he's remembering, right? When he's sounding out the words. Friend. Family. Father. It's these 20 minutes of the movie that, you know, are just my fave. Yeah. yeah it's because this is when you like the monster. Yeah. And then he gets smarter and smarter and you don't like him anymore. (laughs) Yeah, I know, I know. But remember the journal in the pocket of the jacket? Oh, yeah, that's right. Once he gets enough of his reading back, he starts going through Victor's journal and starts literally reading up on himself. Yeah, no, it's literally a how-to guide on himself. And he doesn't even realize that it's about him yet. Yeah. But he's like, what in the fresh hell is all of this? And on Christmas Eve in the forest, instead of leaving cookies out for... For Father Christmas, the family leaves cookies out for the good spirit of the forest, (laughs) which is so nice.
1: For the good spirit of the forest.
0: And I just, oh, but it's about to get bad. Now you know it is. Because you felt a little too good there for a second, right? Yeah, bye-bye favorite 20 minutes, like. Oh, man. In true Ebenezer Scrooge-type fashion, on Christmas Day, the landlord has come to collect late rent. Yeah. Doesn't he have anywhere else to be? Exactly. And the rest of the family is out in the woods. And Grandpa is alone, and the, the landlord starts accosting Grandpa. Because he's blind, and he can. Yeah, exactly. And, oh man, huh. the monster appears out of nowhere. The creation? Excuse me. The creation appears out of nowhere and launches that landlord through the roof, mm-hmm. through the awning of the cottage, <laughs> and just kills him. Get away!
1: Get away! Don't! Blame me, blame your son for not paying his rent on time!
0: When, when Grandpa gets back up and is like, hey, thanks, come in and sit by the fire. Oh, yeah, Grandpa's not deterred. He can't see the guy. So he just thanks him for saving his life, invites him in, warm yourself up by the fire. He knows that this is the, quote, good spirit of the forest. Mm-hmm. And, like, literally, this is the creation's first conversation. And it's an emotionally intelligent one, right? Mm -hmm. It is a little why use many word when few word do trick, but, you know. Yeah, he's fresh. Okay, well, he's not fresh. Not at all. No, but he's uh, new-ish. I'm remembering the scene. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) go back. He's trying to explain to Grandad why he has to hide away from people. Have you no friends?
1: Why do you not go to them? Because... I am so very ugly, and they are so very beautiful.
0: <laughs> oh no, I'm feeling things. Yeah. I'm feeling things. love baby abomination. I know, I love the emotional layering of this whole story and the thing that I like about this version of it is that they do obviously reduce the creature's dialogue in the book he's talking in full sentence flowery language I mean isn't like in the book doesn't he have like isn't part of the book the creation from his perspective, yes, it is in the middle when he's recounting it to Victor. Yeah, yes, it is, and uh, I have. Uh oh, Dad is home. The farmer is home, and uh, he's not happy to see this big ugly dude in his house. Well, the little girl saw the, the creation bop out that landlord, and yeah. then ran to go get Daddy, and Daddy's back, and thinks that this is the guy that killed the landlord. Well, it is the guy that killed the landlord. Well, in you're right, yeah. but <laughs> the farmer doesn't. Know that the creation didn't hurt Grandpa. wasn't the one that did that hurt Grandpa. And the father beats him with a club and charges him out of the house. Father! Get out of here! Get out of here! Him crying in the woods because he got beat. Yeah, I know. Uh, he doesn't understand it. I'm so sorry. Oh, my God. And I he, hate Victor. I know. I hate him. And he, The monster, or er, the creation, tries to come back to apologize, but he finds the house empty. And this is where he goes back to the journal, and he intellectualizes for the first time... That it's about him. I'm so uncomfortable. I know. He now understands the circumstances of his existence, and he is filled with intense rage. He's now experienced two emotions, love and rage. And that's really all you need. No! No, it's not. Sorry, sorry, sorry. And he sets the cottage on fire, vowing revenge on Frankenstein. It's the, I think it's the corniest shot in the film <laughs> of him staring from behind. We see him from behind staring at the inferno of the <laughs> cottage. He turns around slowly. I will have revenge.
1: Frankenstein!
0: See, but that moment gives me goosebumps on my eyelids. Like, I love it. Okay. Does anyone feel romantic yet? Yes. Yes. In what <laughs> way? It doesn't have to be romance, Ross. It's a love story. Love is way deeper than just romantic love, right? Platonic love, familial love. Come on, widen your widen your horizons here a little bit. Agape. Agape? It is the love of humanity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Meanwhile, Elizabeth and Victor, who are newly engaged, are planning to move back to Geneva, and Victor's going to take up his father's medical practice, and he offers Henry a position as his partner, right? Ooh, gay. <laughs> no. Sorry. Not those kinds of partners. Sorry. And so they arrive back in Geneva and greet Frankenstein Sr. and Justine and little Willie. And Willie, again, Willie's like a six-year-old at this point, I feel like, or a three-year-old. I can't remember. Who cares? Yeah, no. He's a a kid. Yeah, and don't get too attached to Willie. Yeah, it won't matter for long. Uh, Willie likes the locket that Victor gave to Elizabeth as an engagement present, right? Mm -hmm. It's got Victor's little picture inside of it, a little painting. He loves it so much, he wants to take it across the creek to his friend Peter and show him. And so they let that child wander off into the woods alone. Yeah. I have... Great! (laughs) Uh, Somebody watch your kids! Literally. And you guessed it, Willie comes upon the creation playing the blind man's flute that he took from the cottage, right? Yeah, because he said he'd had revenge, right? Well, here he is, in Geneva. And then you're like, oh, no! Because Willie drops that locket and runs away. No! No! And the creature can see Victor's picture in the locket and knows who that kid is now
1: frankenstein
0: willie does not come home no he does not come home everybody starts to get into a tizzy and the whole house goes out in search of william and it's starting to get dark and stormy justine in particular is beside herself cuz the- she's the sub mommy well not a sub mommy stop but like- <laughs> <laughs> Phrasing She's the one that kinda raises Willie. Yeah, you know? she's probably in charge of watching him most of the time, right? Mm-hmm. Justine is still out in the dark and seeks shelter inside this old barn, right? This abandoned barn. Yeah, she's so tired. You know, she doesn't think she can make it back in the dark. Sorry, I shouldn't criticize. You I shouldn't! Just... Bad <laughs> things are about to happen. I know. The creature comes upon her sleeping and plants the locket William had on him on her. He's also erect for her hair color. Yeah, he loves the pretty blonde lady. Yeah. Mm, I don't like that. Yeah, I'm sorry I said erect. I know. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? You're forgiven. Victor arrives home in the middle of the calamity. Like, he doesn't, like, he sent Elizabeth on ahead, right? Without him? He did. And uh, he's arriving in the middle of the search party and he goes out and joins everyone looking for Willie, but no dice. And guys, this is awful this is just really awful it's elizabeth yeah. who finds little willie out in the woods mm. and he's dead his neck has been broken and that shot when she and the entire search party oh, are coming out of the woods they're coming out of the woods in, in the, the rain, rain. Yeah. and she's got willie's limp little body wailing and screaming elizabeth Hoover! Dead children, everyone. Feel romantic yet? Stop it! Sorry! (laughs) <laughs> but the thing is, is Victor has now again experienced another great loss of love. Yeah, I know. That's it's his all... baby brother. It's almost like it's going to keep happening. <laughs> and he should get the fuck over it. Oh, like, Ross, right. Sorry. Like, he's allowed to be sad for as long as he wants to be sad. It's all in your own time. Like, everybody grieves in their own way, but you shouldn't try to reanimate your dead loved ones. Do you know what happens when you try to conquer death? You split your soul seven ways and hide it in your favorite toys you know what <laughs> Like <laughs> you're right <Yeah. laughs> it's literally whole voldemort's whole mission is to conquer death anyway the thing is is that even after william's body is recovered No one can find Justine. Justine is still MIA. Bye. Oh, yeah. Guys, I need you all to buckle in because these next three minutes are really awful. When Mrs. Moritz is like, I know I treat my daughter like hogwash, but, like, I really do love her and I want her back. And it's not until the police bang on the door and say they've arrested the murderer that they put two and two together, right? Yeah, because the police found the locket on her. They found- The locket that William had. Oh, no. No. And I'm sorry, we need more due process. Uh, no, that's the thing. <laughs> because the thing is, is there's this moment of like, well, you know, justice will be done. She didn't do anything. And the guard is like, um, no, this is about to go sideways very quickly. You've got, you have all got to get to town because the people are going batshit. Yeah. Because all the people have heard about a child murderer being arrested. Exactly. And the commons in uh, Geneva looks a lot like the hanging yard in Ingolstadt, doesn't it? A little bit, Yeah. yeah It's not like they just ran hundreds of miles to get the Engelstadt. (laughs) No, they reused sets, okay? I know. And... (sighs) (laughs) No, we have to stop laughing. We have to stop laughing. I don't have to stop laughing, Yes, you do. I will. (laughs) Victor, Elizabeth, and Justine's mother, Mrs. Moritz, run into town just in in time. Justin Stein. (laughs) Sorry. Oh, my God. just in time to see a lynch mob forming to go after Justine. I mean, I get it. This lady was supposed to take care of this little boy and she killed him, right? Or so everyone thinks. Yeah, that's the narrative. Fake news! And you know, no one in the Frankenstein camp believes that Justine did this. No. But they're powerless to stop these hundreds of people from killing her. Oh, they break into the jail and drag Justine out. as she's being hauled to the roof of that jail. She's calling out to Victor and Elizabeth. She was just trying to find him. She's like, I didn't do this! This is Bullshit! I, uh, you know, oh, like... Oh, God. <laughs> and then the townspeople put her up on the roof and they put a noose around her neck and just throw her off the roof. Yeah. And once again, we have to watch this happen and it's so upsetting. know when her mother is trying to reach her yeah! trying to reach her so she can pull her down and people are literally throwing stones i'm like christ on a bike she's already dead i love that
1: <laughs> she's it's been all- a while
0: since i've heard christ on a bike it's so awful <laughs> she's already dead christ on a bike i'm sorry you got me <laughs> I can't wait to use that more this week. (laughs) I'm sorry, you said we had to stop laughing. (sighs) Later that night, the creature appears to Victor on the front lawn of the manor. And he's like, listen, you and me, we have to have words. And he points to the north. I know, he's (laughs) just like,
1: the sea of ice. I will meet you there on the sea of ice.
0: First of all, how does he know about the North Pole? (laughs) Second of all, why the fuck at the North Pole? And I do understand as we go along, it's because guess what? There's no of at the North Pole. Human life. Yeah, people. Yeah, that's the thing. The monster has big dreams of moving away from civilization. (laughs) The way the creation's like, yeah, no, I'm chill now that I'm in this body, but, like, it's people that's the problem. And, of course, Frankenstein feels responsible. (laughs) He literally brought the monster into this world, and he can't tell Henry or Elizabeth or his father the truth about why he's gonna go meet this strange man, right? He just tells him that this is the man responsible for both Willie and Justin deaths and so somehow even though the only instruction he gets from the creature on where to find him is the sea of ice victor manages to traverse all of these mountains and find his way into the arctic and he gets out to the sea of ice where he is promptly attacked and thrown into a cave where the monster's been hiding all my extremities just froze and fell the fuck off me. Like, like, like the, the the cold. The, yeah, like... You can see the cold. You can, <laughs> exactly. You can feel it <laughs> on your face. A day in the life of Ivan Denisovich. Like. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. When Victor comes to inside the cave, the monster has built a fire, which, again, Prometheus. Ah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. first man, mm-hmm. Prometheus, all that shit. Yeah. And the monster wants to have a conversation about how Victor ruined his life. Exactly.
1: Get up, you do speak. Yes, I speak and read and think and know the ways of man.
0: I love this scene so much because, for the first time in a real way, Victor's gonna be forced to look at his creation in the face and try to answer for what he did, right? Yeah, and the monster is at the point where he can fully articulate his own experience. Yeah, I know. I mean, I guess time alone on the ice will do that. Yeah, and now that he can articulate his own experience, he's now impossible to reduce... To the likes of, like, a rabid dog that just needs to be put down, right? Yeah, yeah, you done fucked up, Victor. He actually went and made a person. Yeah, he's practically a fully formed person now, now. Yeah, now this person has the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Look at what you fucking did. Like, you know. And he makes a very salient point. You gave me these emotions, but you didn't tell me how to use them.
1: What of my soul? Do I have one? What was... Was that a part you left out? Who were these people of which I am comprised? Good people? Bad people? Materials, nothing more. You're wrong.
0: You remember raw materials? That's how Victor justified himself harvesting (gasps) body parts. like, it's just materials, nothing more. And And the monster's like, no, fuck you. You're wrong about that, you know? And he picks up the flute and says, Did you know I knew how to play this? Isn't this part isn't this a part in the book, like a big part in the book? Yeah. Where he's like, What are these memories that I don't know? Like, you yeah. know, I have memories that are not mine, and I know how to do things that I shouldn't know how to do.
1: You know I knew how to play this? In which part of me did this knowledge reside? In these hands, in this mind, in this heart, and reading, and speaking, not things learned so much as things remembered.
0: Did you ever consider? The consequences of your actions, and Victor's like, I don't know, man. This was so messed up. Yeah, I, I should not have done it in the first place. What do I have to do to get you to leave me alone? And the request is very simple. The oh man, oh so simple, isn't it? Yeah. The creation wants a female companion. How romantic. <laughs> It is a perversion of that romantic love, yes. You're not fucking kidding. I know. If I had just one person who looked like me, I would make peace with all of mankind.
1: I have love in me, the likes of which you can scarcely imagine, and rage, the likes of which you would not believe. If I cannot satisfy the one, I will indulge the other.
0: Whichever one I cannot say she, I will indulge the other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like oh no, oh boy, he's like the creation's like here you go, that's up to you. Yeah, he says if Victor gives him a companion, they will fuck off to the North Pole where there are no human beings and live out the rest of their days. And Victor, as if he yeah. has learned nothing. <laughs> says yes (laughs) and I just I can't I absolutely cannot Victor goes back to Geneva he breaks the bad news to Elizabeth that they have to postpone the wedding for a month and she is shitty about it. She could honestly just have gotten over herself. I don't know, bud. I think- No, no, no. Victor is the problem. I get it. But, like, like, it's a month. Your date will come. Like, She's already put off the wedding so he could go to medical school and ignore her for, like, a year. And now not only is he insisting they wait another month, but he won't tell her why. One month. That's all I ask. And and, and then we can be married and we can
1: forget this whole business. I Promise? Promise? Promise! Oh, don't dare use that word to me. You you promised to tell me who this man was. You promised to abandon this
0: work for good. Your, your promises don't mean anything. Elizabeth! I have to leave this house. What, what, what are you saying? Where will you go? I don't know. Somewhere I can recover. And so she's packing her shit and she's leaving, while Victor gets geared up for some more ungodly foolishness. Ungodly foolishness? <laughs> This is where the narrative of the film starts to divert from most of Mary Shelley's novel. What? Yes. Really? Yes, really. You don't say. (laughs) Oh, you're making fun of me. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not making fun of you. I'm making fun of the movie. (laughs) Because, you know, frankly, I find the course of this narrative more interesting, but we'll get there. The creation is actually helping Victor prepare to engineer a bride this time. He's even got ideas for who the raw materials should be, right? Oh, yeah, because we got some fresh raw materials sitting down at the commons, right? Like Oh, the monster digs up Justine's body and demands that Victor use her corpse. He likes her pretty yellow hair. And Victor, this I guess this is the line for Victor. He's not going to violate someone he knows. And he's like, "Are you fucking kidding me? What about Schiller? What about Waldman?" All right, all right. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Ugh.
1: Materials, remember? Nothing more. Your words. <laughs> You will honor your promise to me. I will not. Go kill me now. That is mild compared to what will come. If you deny me my wedding night, I will be with you on
0: yours. He would. Oh, no. <laughs> he would. Oh, no. Meanwhile, Elizabeth is literally getting ready to walk out on him. And she's in this chapel saying a prayer before she leaves her childhood home forever. And Victor is begging her to stay. She's in the chapel, and he collapses in tears on the altar beside himself. And I'm kind of rolling my eyes, because he's got no one to blame for this but himself. No one. <laughs> and Elizabeth decides that she can, in fact, fuck around and find out. Oh yeah, when she's like, marry me to- Tomorrow, tell me everything,
1: but you must tell me the truth,
0: and together we can face anything. Um, that is not the policy I feel like a lot of women would act on. (laughs) Oh, dude, women will ignore a lot of red flags. I just feel like knowing men. You know, you you're not just like marry me now, we'll talk about the fucked up shit you've done later. No. I'm like, girl, you've got no idea what's about to smack you between the eyes. None. Or between the breasts, but we'll get there. <gasps> yeah, I know. I'm oh, I'm bad for that you're joke. Fire I'm bad for that joke. That's twice you've been fired, and this isn't a romance <laughs> This is page eight. Yeah. <laughs> We're coming to the you're end. You're at the bottom of page eight. <laughs> So Elizabeth and Victor are married at his father's bedside because dad's not been doing so hot. Oh yeah, not since the death of William. No. Yeah, no, he's been, t- he's taken to the bed. He's not left it. He looks super Scrooge, doesn't he? He does. With the nightcap and the everything. Yeah. And the moment they're married, they're taking off away from the manor. And you guessed it they're not off the property five seconds. And the creation is in the house and has strangled Victor's father. I mean, you know it when he sh- when he closes his eyes. Mm-hmm. I'm like, ah! Which also does not happen in the book, by the way. His father basically dies of heartbreak uh, yeah. after this next death that's coming up. Like Johnny Cash. A little bit, yeah. Sorry. And the other thing is that in the book, Clerval actually dies. Oh, he does? He does, but they left that out of this movie i like that though i like henry a lot yeah i'm glad he survives victor takes elizabeth and like 12 big dudes arms them to the teeth and they go off and try to have some kind of honeymoon right they go to this little inn and they post guards around the entire house and tell them not to let anyone in you can't run from your problems guys (laughs) You can't. Oh, no. They will turn up in the form of Robert De Niro uh-huh. and wreck your life. But before Robert De Niro wrecks his life, we got to talk about this honeymoon scene. Do we have to? Oh, yeah, we do. Oh, well, they missed the last ferry, right? <laughs> they get into the, They get into this. <laughs> They must be in like France or somewhere I don't Italy know. like But they are in this honeymoon suite and I swear to god none of this was necessary. Sweet. <laughs> I it's It, it is it's, a cabin. It whatever. <laughs> it's the honeymoon suite. Yeah. But like I just I really do not think any of this was necessary. I I'm glad that it's here, but I'm also powerfully aware that, that there's no acting required. Yeah, Kenneth Branagh <laughs> really, really, really just wanted to get into bed with Helena Bonham Carter on camera, and the way—ooh, this does make me heave. Ah! <laughs> Brother and sister, no more.
1: Now husband and wife.
0: This sex sequence lasts way too long. Oh, it's so good, though. Carol. It's not only is the music amazing, but it's also just all the good stuff that gothic romance smut is made of with the camera angles and the, oh, and the collarbone kisses. Yeah, and the not technical incest. Yeah, Yeah, and the cheating on your wife. Yeah, and the cheating on Emma Thompson. Yeah. But before they can get right down to the actual deed, Victor hears that flute being played outside and he's like, holy shit, grabs the pistol and tells Elizabeth to lock the door behind him. And this is the thing I don't understand. There's like 12 dudes out here, right? Yeah. I understand that it's dark, but how does a six foot five creation in a big black trench coat get by 12 dudes. He probably paid him off, you know, he's Robert De Niro. No, he did sob. <laughs> he did not pay them off. I think he sneaks in through the balcony, but still, again, how do you not see the huge dude climbing a tree? Uh, he's agile. He's wearing a gray coat, you know. All yeah. right, talk to me about the terrible awful. <laughs> oh boy. And like Vic- Victor's outside and somehow he just knows. The monster's up there with Elizabeth, and he gets to the room. Who's in bed with Elizabeth? It's the creature! Yeah. And guys, in the book, yes, he kills Elizabeth, but he uses his typical MO, which is strangulation, right? Yeah, that's not what happens here, is it? In this movie, they took it over the top. They sure did. Because, again, I know you don't think this is a romance. I think... This is hitting on the romance aspect of it because guys In what way? Kali Ma, he punches through her breastplate and pulls her beating heart out of her chest. Great face, HBC, by the way. Oh, it yeah, I believe that Robert De Niro just did that to you. <laughs>
1: I keep my promises.
0: He pushes her body off the bed. It knocks over a table and upsets a candle that then sets her hair on fire. And then the rest of the room. Yeah, it's a mess. I love watching Robert De Niro dive out the window with her heart (laughs) in his hand. (laughs) It's so crazy. And it's not, this is not even as crazy as it gets. He said, if you're not, you know, if you do not make my wedding night, I will be with you on yours. Yeah. He was. Oh, boy. Oh, poor Elizabeth. And this is where Victor really has lost his mind so romantic Uh, stop (sighs) dude again it doesn't have to be about romance strictly this is the power of love or so he thinks this is just a man who is out of his mind from grief i think because victor oh no he's gotta do it again victor takes her body back to geneva and he's gonna do something truly unholy again asshole didn't do it with willie I know, right? Or Justine. Or Justine. Ah. And once again, this is not a plot element in the book. The things he's about to do to Elizabeth's body and everything that follows does not happen. I think this was just their way of incorporating the Bride of Frankenstein narrative, right? Well, we had to get HBC looking Tim Burton-esque. Oh, God. Because he's decided he's going to reanimate Elizabeth. And Henry is trying to stop him. He's like, dude, your very soul is on the line. He's like, come on. Come on. You did it once already. You don't need to do it
1: again. I know what I have to do. Oh God. No, Victor, you can't do this. I won't let you. She's gone. I love her. What would you do? Leave her in peace. Peace? You call this peace? You think my father wouldn't have done this for my mother? Your father's dead. Then there's nothing left to lose. Nothing but your soul.
0: And I love that shot of him carrying her up that huge staircase with the long red robe. Isn't that a great shot? Uh Oh, man. In order to achieve this, Victor has to get creative because the monster has taken Elizabeth's heart, right? Her core is not viable to him anymore because he's not a skilled surgeon. He can't reattach a heart. Like, he can't do open heart surgery. So... He goes to the pains of severing Elizabeth's hands, feet, and head. And putting them on Justine's body? Yeah, because Justine still has her heart. Oh my god. Uh, Oh no, I hate that shot when he's obviously ramping up to do it again and he runs by Justine's disarticulated head on the uh, floor. Oh, I hate it. This is going to get so fucked up before the end. I can't stand it. He lowers Elizabeth into that tank and repeats the whole process with the eels and the amniotic fluid. How he got enough amniotic fluid on such short notice makes no sense. Do what you feel now. Mm -hmm. Electric feel now. But he runs the current through the tank and stands on top of it, screaming... Victor takes her out of that tank and cleans her off, puts her in her wedding dress, and puts the wedding ring on her finger. The literal bride of Frankenstein. I actually, I can't, I can't. I know. I actually can't. And, like, he's got her sitting on a box with her head in her lap. This is so uncomfortable, Carrie. I know. He's trying to coax her back into sentience because he knows, based on what the monster has told him about how this works, is that he can make her remember parts of her former life, right? Mm.
1: Say my name. Please. Say my name.
0: Remember... You must remember. Elizabeth? Oh, the makeup on HBC. She picks her head up. (laughs) And, like, it's the same thing, like, with Robert De Niro. She's got stitches crawling across her face. Mm -mm. And, like, she's reaching up to touch Victor's face. And you think, for a moment, there's a flicker of recognition behind her eyes, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He makes her stand up And takes her hands. And, like, it does seem like she has more mobility than the creation did. I think that's because her flesh hasn't been dead that long. Probably. And so he's actually trying to make her dance. Like, remember all the times we danced at parties together? They're a dancing family. And I'm like, dude, can you give her a minute? She just came back from the dead. Yeah. Oh my god. Your sister wife needs a second. Oh no. Sorry. I'm not going to not acknowledge it. But ding dong, the creation, is here, and he is assuming he's pleased as pie. Perfect. She'll do. (laughs) (laughs) He's assuming Elizabeth is for him. Yeah. And now have to do this obnoxious thing where Elizabeth is like a dog that's being fought over by two people. Come on, Gary. Come on, come on, Gary. Come on. Wrong way, Gary. Yeah, she's between the two of them, and they're trying to see who she'll go to. (laughs) Meow. Oh, my God. And, like, she goes at first to the creation, right? Because she's like, this is interesting. Yeah, she's like, you look fucked up dude and like she's like feeling on his face tracing his stitches with her finger and then she gets a look at her own wrist where he's sewn her hand onto Justine's body and she's like wait a fucking second yeah Ross I think this is the moment where it clicks for her she understands she's like wait a minute I'm Elizabeth Laverna Frankenstein and you did not just do this to me! She looks over at Victor with that horrified look on her face. <laughs> and he's still all like, say my name, say my name.
1: Say my name, Elizabeth. Hey. That's right, Elizabeth.
0: Hey. And listen, I know this is not what she says, but the way she's saying it has an air of you absolute bitch like she says her she says victor and like grunts and like shakes her head as if to say no no you no, you did not do this to me she remembers more than the creature did when he came back and like just how how do you even begin to comprehend that someone who allegedly loved you Brought you back for this lesser form of life. It's so selfish what he's done. It reminds me of the tale of three brothers. Yeah. With the resurrection stone. Yeah. How, he, how Cadmus Peveril brought his deceased lover back,
1: but Ooh. she
0: was different mm-hmm. because she knew that she didn't. She wasn't supposed to be alive anymore. It's also very pet cemetery. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes dead is better. Don't go up that there, all Victor. <laughs> And, guys, she makes him pay for it with Jesus. the most horrific display. Yeah, no, this is, like, one of the scariest parts of the film. Because <laughs> uh, Victor and the monster start playing tug-of-war with her. Yeah. And she can't handle it. She runs away from them, and she's, like, she's making these gestures, like, look at this. Look at what you fucking did. Look at me. And she picks up this oil lamp. <laughs> she's, like, need to get rid of me. like, Yeah, she... She doesn't spill it on herself. She doesn't throw it down. She crushes it over her head. She got that human strength, that superhuman strength too. Now and immolates herself. Get away from us! She's
1: mine. She's mine. She said my name. She remembers.
0: She's mine. My god, the shot of her running down the attic stairs and through the hallway, hilariously lighting every other surface on fire. Yeah, like everything is doused in kerosene. And again, and again I say, them stairs need a railing. Yeah, I know. Because she runs right out of the stairwell, and off the top of the stairs, Falls on their harpsichord, which they've been dancing to all their lives. Oh, how poetic. Or harpsichord, or whatever the fuck it is. <laughs> and no. lights the rest of the mansion on fire. All I'm saying is, Henry is here in the house yeah, for think... this whole thing, but we never see him again after, we, after the reanimation of Elizabeth. I, like... I think he gets out. I think he's fine. And guys, we cut back to the Arctic. Oh yeah, we're back at... Captain Walton's ship. Yeah, and the ship. Yeah, the ship.
1: <laughs> All that I once loved lies in a shallow grave by my hand.
0: Good. All right. I'm I'm sorry like he buttered his bread, now he has to sleep in it. Now he has to sleep in it. And like Victor is telling Walton, that he vowed revenge on the monster for what he took from him and has been chasing him back across the Arctic ever since. And, like, guys, there's, there's, there's nothing surprising about this. He's probably got the hypothermia. And he promptly says, I am so very tired, and closes his eyes and dies. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Uh, I'd be tired, too. <laughs> oh and like the crew is questioning walton about what this man said and walton is literally like i don't know man he told me a story that can't be true (laughs) like they just there is no way that he was telling the truth about any of that he
1: died raving about some phantom what is it out there captain Tell me a story that
0: could be true. But guess what? The truth is about to come walking out of the fog, because they hear that ghostly howling again, right? <laughs> and <Sorry. laughs> they, it's coming from the cabin where they think Frank is, and they go back to the cabin, and there's the creation over his body and even after everything that has happened what is so astounding and almost beautiful to me is that the creature finally experiences a third emotion oh yeah it's all been love and rage up until now right but now there's sorrow who are you
1: he never gave me a name Why do you weep? He was my father.
0: What a childlike emotion. I know. Like, this is this is what Dad loves about this movie. And I, again, I know you don't agree that this is a romance. It's not. But, but go ahead. I think maybe I should never have used the word romance when talking about this. You shouldn't have. Because this, what I meant was love and I just misspoke, okay? Because you've been holding me to that word this whole time. And it's never really what I meant. Because it's what Dad says about this movie. Frankenstein is a love story. It's about Victor's love for his family, for his friends, for Elizabeth, all the people that he is eventually going to lose and does lose because of death. You're right. And how that drives him forward to conquering it, right? Mm -hmm. Becomes obsessed with it. And it also makes me think of that quote from Silent Hill, remember? Because the childlike emotion of seeing your parent as your creator and it makes me think of that line, a mother is God in a child's eyes. Mm-hmm. Like your connection with one's parent is also like a connection with one's God. It's very Edward Hands. Oh, boy. You know, and Vincent Price. Yeah. <laughs> so the crew is ready to bury Frankenstein. I have, quote, at sea because the sea is frozen. And they've built up a funeral pyre and they're gonna set him on fire. And I just, well, creature the creature is the only mourner. He is the only person left to mourn Victor Frankenstein. Yeah. And I love the Bible verse that Walton is reading. This is Ecclesiastes chapter one, verses 17 through 18.
1: And yea, I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceive that all is vanity and vexation of spirit. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth
0: knowledge
1: increaseth sorrow.
0: I hate the Bible, I love the Bible. I know, like, you hate <laughs> You hate how the Bible is misused for people's terrible agenda, but, but isn't then, that relatable? Yeah, and then people read the Bible out loud to me, and I'm like, wow, that hit, like... Yeah, for in much wisdom is much grief, and he that gets smarter gets sadder. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, wow. Didn't you tweet today? How are we supposed to go on living, knowing all that we know? Yeah, exactly, Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden the ice starts to break up around the ship and the crew starts jumping back on the ship and they everybody's like whoa 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 and Walton is calling out to the creature come with us and i'm like fuck that get going <laughs> don't take him anywhere like that's okay he does not want to go this is like one of the best ending lines i feel like for a character yeah get back to the ship. And the monster takes that torch of fire, drags himself onto the ice floe with Frankenstein, and they start drifting away. And this moment is so overly dramatic, the way he's holding that torch over his head, and the music is happening, and he just sets them both on fire. Fire! It is good. It is good. Oh, in the book, he gives like a way more flowery speech at the end, but I just kind of love the finality of I am done with man. Self immolation. And where are you going to go, Walton? Captain Walton, what have we learned? Yeah, what have we learned? What did you learn, Dorothy? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I learned not to take a bunch of men on like a transatlantic suicide mission to the North Pole. Go in summer, Walton. Yeah, go in summer. Like leave in spring, (laughs) you'll be there by summer. Okay. Oh my God! It took six months to get anywhere. I mean, seriously. After witnessing all of that, Robert Walton decides it's not worth it to find the North Pole. No. LMAO. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that. Yeah. I absolutely can't believe it. No, and- it, it is the notion of, I've already caused so much death. Mm-hmm. No need for any more. Yeah, we don't have to go with the sunk cost fallacy Which here. Which is kind of what happened to Victor. Of course I've it is. I've already caused so much death. No reason to cause anymore, you know? Yeah, like, because literally he didn't believe Victor at first and then the proof walked out of the snow and, like... Victor really did kill his whole family. Yeah, he did. Except for his mother. Yeah. <laughs> like... Isn't that wild? Yeah, he didn't mean to. All but... in the pursuit of trying to conquer death. Exactly. It's absolutely can fuss. You can't, you can't cheat death, everybody. It's coming. And, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like I said... No, of course it's not a romance. I misspoke. I never should have used that word, okay? This is also for me. A love story i think that it does elevate the narrative it's not like there's not things in the book that are heavily you know it's a gothic romance for crying out loud as well as being you know science fiction horror all of that fun stuff mary shelley the original goth girl oh my god <laughs> but at the same time the elements from the gothic romance are so heavily in there like even listening to victor talk about elizabeth how he feels she is so important. And, I mean, also he feels like she literally belongs to him. Yeah. Which is just so gothic romance men. Sister wife and all that. But, like, he feels, he does feel entitled to her, but he also feels like she is the most important thing that has existed or will ever exist. And it is his one goal. It is his one mission in life to love and protect her. And it ends up costing him in the end. Yep. And I know you love that. You think he got everything that was coming to him. Don't fuck with death. And frankly, I do, too. Like, literally, don't fuck with death. Like, don't be playing God with the dead meat. Like, I hate to talk more about Harry Potter because fuck her. But, like, mm, yeah. I mean, that is, like, quite literally the whole... No- I'm sorry. Just because we have a lot of Harry Potter actors here today. I feel like, um, you know, I feel like I learned that from a young age, whether I knew that that was the lesson or not through Harry Potter, because the entire point of Harry Potter is that you can't cheat death. It's also the entire point of Frankenstein. (laughs) It's the entire point of a lot of different stories out there. I mean, it make me think of that soliloquy from Act Three of Hamlet, to grunt and sweat under a weary life, but that the dread of something after death, that undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns, puzzles the will, and makes us rather bear those ills we have than fly to others we do not know of. Like, it's just like, dude, I don't know what's beyond death. I don't really want to mess with it. Like, I would rather be here. And yeah, that is why he wants to conquer it in the first place. Can you say it's a universal story? No, no one else around here is trying to reanimate their dead loved ones. But the the driving force behind it is very relatable. And like, while you think it is absolutely batshit crazy what he did, you kind of get it. Absolutely. <laughs> so much. Thank you so much, Mary Shelley. Literally. Well, guys, we hope you like Kenneth Branagh, because you're getting like the worst of him next week. (laughs) Yeah, like he was kind of the villain this week, but he's really the villain next week. I mean, we wanted to do a Black History Month selection and a romance and a couple of others. Carrie picked uh, two wild romantic stories, Um, Thumbelina. (laughs) Love stories. uh, Two wild love love stories. stories. Okay, Thumbelina, the human trafficking story. Stop. And uh, the horror that is Frankenstein. (laughs) Um, I thought we'd end the month with a love story that is about making a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Merry kicking and streaming energy. Oh my God. Guess who else is back? Eddie Redmayne. Oh, that's right. (laughs) He was here so recently. Was he? Oh, sorry. In *Lame Is*. Yeah. That's right. That's right. We will be covering the 2011 autobiographical adaptation my week with Marilyn. Oh boy. Yeah. Kate Branda is Lawrence Olivier! You know what I just love? <laughs> Narratives about Marilyn Monroe through the male gaze. And you know what else we got? The white Michelle Williams. Oh, boy. <laughs> so look out for that next week, guys. In the meantime, you can go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K I C K N S T R E A M. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, please be practicing the three R's rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet, folks. We want everyone to come and join our little romantic watch party. Stop using that word. Well, you then. You first. <laughs> you first. More quality content coming to you from kicking and streaming. Until then, I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And as always, Sorry, Sorry Mom. Mom.